I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a look back at some of the conversations that I feel have shaped my current views of the design industry. Influencers, creatives, who directly impact the direction of our business. This one is really interesting. You heard from him last week in uh, a 2016 conversation, Rebels of Design. This is him by himself because I really wanted to sit down with him. This is Matt Black's Cliff Fong. So yeah, last week you heard from Cliff on a panel, and this week I wanted to showcase him exclusively from our conversation back in 2016. Cliff's ideas about design, taste, style, and their direct relationship to the work he does, for whom he does it, are inextricably tied together. We speak about him as a design show judge and how that work differs from his views of design in the real world, I would argue these viewpoints are more relevant now than they were then because since the pandemic, I mean, look, haven't most design professionals become a reality design show in some form or fashion through social media? I would argue that most participate actively in the conversation now as opposed to that in 2016, who most of which would just watch. One of the other aspects to this that I hope you notice are the things Cliff does around the work, as in not the work itself, but how he thinks about it. And you will find a certain Zen state in his approach that has truly influenced the approach I take to my own work. I have been influenced by this individual. I can, I can say that for certain. I can still do way better at that, but this really did help me, and perhaps it can help you too. If you're into that sort of thing, enjoy my conversation with Cliff Fong from 2016, right after this. For over two years now, you have heard about my partnership with Thermosol. So you know that I have extremely high standards for Convo by Design partnerships. Thermosol is an extraordinary partner because there is this rare combination of intuitive design with exceptional performance. They have state-of-the-art facilities located in Round Rock, Texas, and a company that's about to celebrate 65 years offering excellence in form and function. The Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol is a programming feature that regularly showcases remarkable design talent and how they do what they do and the manner in which they do it, allowing designers to emulate successful strategies and make smarter clients who know what questions for of top professionals. If you want to understand more about this company and their history, please check the show notes for the link to episode 221 with Thermosol third generation CEO Mitch Altman. He explains the history behind the company and Really, th that's what makes this company so special. Combine that with the cutting-edge technology, their world-class domestic facilities, and you have a company delivering predictable elegance upon which you can rely. And nowadays, how important is that? Thermosol.com. This is Convo by Design. I am with uh, interior designer Cliff Fong at the uh, Crestron Showroom in the Pacific Design Center, West Hollywood, California. Follow Cliff uh, at Matt Black Inc. on Twitter. Um, been excited to talk to you for a while. Actually, 
Hi. Thank you. Welcome. Um, wanted to actually talk to you before Ellen's design challenge, uh, and I'll get to that in a minute. How did how did you get started in design? Um, well, I was working in fashion and traveling quite a bit to European capitals when I was in my uh, early and mid twenties. And while I was doing that, I, I started buying furniture for myself and mostly twentieth um, century French design. I got very interested in the work of Jean Prouvé and Charlotte Perrion and um, and Serge Mouy. Um, I had also studied art history in college, so I had I had. Um, a way of putting almost everything I saw into context, into some kind of historical context through my study of art. So when I started looking at architecture and furniture, the the kind of um, my my enthusiasm of it is very complementary to, to my enthusiasm for art. And and when all of those three things came together in context, that's when I started thinking about putting environments together, doing things um, in my own home, doing things for friends' homes. And then before you knew it, or before I knew it, I had a, kind of a career going while, while still working in fashion. And then maybe just only half a dozen years ago, I s decided to stop um, working in fashion full-time and, and, and move more towards working in design full-time. Did the, did the, the teeter-totter of passion and love did it did it switch from from fashion to interior design um not not so much i wouldn't say it was a huge s switch or shift it was more um i think the idea that that there became more interesting projects and and things sort of phased out a little bit with with fashion and and more towards things that were kind of maybe more immediately gratifying in in interior in the kind of the interior design world, where fashion is one of those industries where um, you have to put a lot a lot of effort in up front before you actually see any kind of manifestation of your your inspiration or creative work, and then later you're lucky if it gets received well. See, that's so interesting to me because I, I when I when I think about it, I would think of fashion as more temporary. Uh, it is for sure. I, I mean, it's. I, we're we're talking about two industries that primarily function um, in the luxury market. So, so the things that hold those industries together sometimes are a little bit flimsy, right? They're they're not uh, necessary for, for the most part. But some people find, you know, patronage of those two industries more more necessary than others. And and of course, those are the people that I enjoy working with the most, people who have like a meaningful love for design, or at the time, people who have a meaningful love for fashion, people who understand um, that it's more than just, you know, something to cover your body or more than just something to supposedly impress people or, or, or uh, you know, get photographed in. Really, it's a matter of communication. And I think um, when people think about designing their homes, if they do it thoughtfully, it's about communicating something very personal and not just making it feel comfortable or living in something that feels like a nice hotel. So to me, they're, they're very kind of complementary industries. But if you don't, if I didn't concentrate on them in the way that I do, I think, um, well, one, I'd be a different kind of designer, but I would also probably find it find the interest level not sustaining if I didn't find something important philosophically about it. So I'm a, 
I'm a huge fan of the arts. I consider in interior design a, an artistic endeavor. Mm -hmm. um, with most artists that I've spoken to, nobody's, they're just unhappy with the final product. It's part of the nature of, of being an artist. It, with interior design, when you're done with a project, do you look at it, do you wait until you're done when you're happy with it, that's when it's done, or is there certain a, a level of dissatisfaction with, with the projects that you do just because of how you view them? Uh, well, you know, not necessarily. I, I think I'm always happy with whatever it is that I can put together for somebody. Um, there are so many variables, so, so I, a, a lot of times people find it difficult to work with too many variables because people might find it difficult to control those variables. But for me, uh, variables mean that I have more options, more possibilities, and more different ways to look at something. So the process of doing interior design for me doesn't really, isn't really about me being satisfied with my own personal work. It's more making sure that the, the person that I'm designing for within the set of variables that I've been given or a set of interests or, or you know, um, requirements, that, that they're really happy. And if I can create something that looks nice, that, that says something about them personally, and, and that's also reflective of, of my interest in making and improving their environment, improving the way they live, hopefully giving them something stimulating, then it's very rare that I ever feel like I need to look back. I'm not, I, it's, it wasn't like my work in fashion where I might feel like I had a great idea and, uh, and we'd go ahead and produce the sampling, we'd sell it, and by the time I saw it, you know, six months later in a, in a retail store, I kind of wondered what I was thinking. I very rarely feel that way with, with interior design work because it's more about the service we provide than it is about my own personal work. In my own home, however, I have all sorts of things that go up and down and back and forth, and, and I'm not sure if I'll ever be entirely satisfied. I definitely enjoy the way I get to live, but I also like the idea that that's easy to change. So that's interesting. The philosophy, it's all about the client. If the client's happy, you're, you're happy. Uh, I think so, yes. But I, but I also, you know, it's an advisory position that, that I take as well. So, so I'd like to find a way to work within their interest level or aesthetic to create something interesting. It's very rare that I feel like I walk away and just made something for them. And it's not that I don't care how it looks, but what's really important is that I make something that looks good that they, that they really like. And, and that's more important than making something exclusively for my own, you know, satisfaction. Um, so I saw you recently uh, on a keynote panel here at the Pacific Design Center. Mm -hmm. uh, it was recently at, uh, at West Week 2016, 2015, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was interesting to me, too. It was uh, hosted by uh, Interiors Magazine, and it was, it was yes. entitled Rebels in Design. Mm. Which I found, I found the title interesting because anytime you say rebels, it's like, oh, okay, really? Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't really want to debate that term because uh, sometimes rebellion exists only for the sake of being contrary. Right. And that's not at all, I think, what motivates a lot of people creatively. Um, oftentimes, in fact, I do find that when people are motivated by, by the need solely to be different, that sometimes the work is kind of flimsy because it because it doesn't have a strong um, foundation for for uh, something else, right? Some some strong philosophical foundation or or some historical context, some something super progressive. Sometimes people are rebellious just kind of for attention's sake. 
Um, so I think the 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 other panelists that were there, I, I, I think they were all very, very well, um, obviously very talented, very evolved in their work, and, and I think their work also had a very, very strong, um, you know, soul. It's it's really obvious to look at to look at Patrick's work or or Patrick Tig, yeah, yeah, and and see that it, that he really has some very strong beliefs, some very strong aesthetic references that he goes back to, uh, and and he's created some very new and fresh ones too. So to me, that's not rebellion. That's just knowing who you are as a as a creative person and 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 exploring those ideas to their fullest. You know, even exploiting them, which I think is is a good thing. Yeah, and I thought it was it was interesting too. In addition to Patrick, you had Eric Chang uh, on the panel as well. Yeah, Eric's also really wonderful, and and he's doing some really beautiful work, or uh, or he and his partner rather are doing really beautiful work. And and yes, they're not rebels in the least. In fact, uh, you, you know, the you can be a leader, but it doesn't mean that you're the, you're the leader of a rebellion, right? So right. I think they're both great leaders in their fields, but I don't I didn't necessarily find them rebellious, but I you know. So the the takeaway for me, and I thought it w- I thought it was interesting, and, and I mean at the end of the day, isn't that why? And by the way, the uh, we will be publishing the panel. So by the time this this interview comes out on Convo by Design, that panel will also be published. Oh, cool! On Convo by Design, so you can go back and listen to it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that stood out for me was especially when you start talking about design, interior design, and then we talked about architecture and product design. Three men on the panel. Mm-hmm. Which is which is interesting for an interior design conversation. Insofar as ten years ago, it would not have been that way. That the panel would have been shaped differently. And I think the, yeah. the I think the conversation of of rebels in design. And I got it the same way. Which it, it wasn't like, hey, let's just be different for difference' sake. Right. But let's come up with some new ideas. Do you find do you find the business more open to new ideas now? Uh, I think it depends where you are. Um, it's a very interesting time in in the design and home furnishings market because there's there's uh, it's one of the fastest growing industries, you know, luxury or 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 otherwise. It's a very very fast growing and expanding industry in America at least. Um, I think uh, I think there is a lot of new and great happening always, uh, um, but. It's nice that right now there are so many ways to make use of of a good idea or or to to um, maximize your effort for for doing something new and creative. California and in Los Angeles in particular is a very very fertile design market. You know we have we have some amazing creative people out here who are making you know furniture all sorts of design items, and we have a very young progressive group of designers as well as a more cultivated, educated, formal. You know, design uh, uh, designers that are that are considered designers in a more formal sense as well, um, and and that's a really nice combination of factors. I don't think it's as progressive or as actively um, uh, edgy or challenging in maybe some other cities that have a have a longer history in in working with interior designers and and also maybe have a slightly uh, a culture that is educated slightly differently than than the way that people are educated in our you know culture um, but it, I think it's I think there's no like one single answer to that obviously yeah yeah well I, I think it's interesting too because you know there are, there are cities markets like Santa, Santa Barbara 
-hmm. Santa Barbara is not going to be as open-minded. There's, there's a, I guess, you know, maybe is, is it that in certain cities or in certain markets that have their own signature look? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's changing more and more as time progresses. You know, Santa Barbara might be a little more traditional, but there are quite a few progressives in the Montecito area, and there are a few design resources from Los Angeles that now exist in, in, um, in that area as well. So I think it's all really about the, the person and kind of one of the really nice things about our time is that I, I think people aren't restricted to living in, in first tier cities in America. It, it used to be, there used to be a time, um, maybe it's easy for me to say because I'm from New York and I live in Los Angeles, but there used to be a time where people would only consider living in New York or Los Angeles if they were in some creative industry, um, whether it's entertainment or design or fashion, you know, and then, and then, you know, the financial sector obviously is, is largely centered in, in the, in uh, New York. Um, but now because there's so many people who live more kind of free form existences because it's so easy to do business online or through email correspondence or Skype conferences that people can really live anywhere and and travel to where they need to for work and and maybe that's actually a little more interesting than than the obligation of living in the same city every day and and having kind of a daily grind to 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 deal with so there are a lot of very interesting um entrepreneurs industry creative interesting creative people executives who are choosing just to live outside their city centers or the normal city centers and in, in the way that they might create create a life for themselves in, in those other areas, other territories, I think it's just as progressive or as edgy as if they were living in the city. That doesn't, that doesn't change um, because the environment changes. I, I, think, uh, I think people are you know, open to creating whatever they need to create wherever they are. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up, too, because I think, you know, the concept of living off the grid, right, mm -hmm. or, or living outside of those city centers was the concept, well, it's going to be, an, it's going to be a shed with, with animal skins on the wall, and it's, it's not going to be a well-designed habitat. But nowadays, especially with, you know, Tiny House Nation, which is really interesting, because mm -hmm. I, I think the whole concept of the tiny house on wheels some of them are remarkably well designed some mm -hmm. some of the ideas especially you know living in new york where it's m mandatory you have to figure out second uses for things right. nothing right. gets its own individual space place and use anymore unless you have a you have a very large footprint which most most people don't right. but the innovation that's taking place because of this is remarkable yeah for sure well also you know now if you're under 30 or if you're in your early 20s, there's this huge um, homesteading movement where people are kind of much more interested in in going out and, and creating a, an eco-friendly architectural farmhouse and, and in a place where they can live off, of, off the land, work half the day by, by doing things online and, and, and then having a different, a, a more experiential existence as opposed to kind of my generation where everybody just wanted to live in a city like New York or Paris or London and to be able to drink and eat and, you know, go crazy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Party a lot. Sure. And, and now I think it's really nice that people might go into the cities to, to, um, to get some good experience, and then they take what they learn and they leave and, and go build an amazing life, 
you know, outside of those cities. Like there's there's amazing things happening in in cities like Asheville, North Carolina, or Austin, Texas. I mean, Austin's not a mystery to anybody, but but Austin was really different when when a big group of my you know high school friends from Texas went to UT than what it is now where there's there's amazing gastronomic restaurants incredible architecture there um, a very active and 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 diverse culture uh, something really different than than the cultural climate in every everywhere else in Texas you know Portland obviously is is an amazing place to go to um, Seattle Charlotte like there's there's incredible things happening in cities that aren't you know the party centers, well, yeah, the financial centers. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because you bring up Austin, and Austin has has long been maybe it's too that it's one of those cities that has just always considered itself weird. You know, mm -hmm. P Portland's the same way, yeah. and it's remarkable what happens in Portland. Santa Cruz, you know, a city like Santa Cruz, the same the same sort of vibe. Yeah. Well, yeah, the tech industry obviously has a lot to do with this. Not only is responsible for enabling people to, to expand in this way, but the influx of people who are involved in tech is really changing how how people live outside of big cities as well, which is great. It is great, and I think what's interesting too is tech has what, it's what made it possible for new ideas to come, you know, you, you've got Pinterest and you've got House and you've got Facebook and you've got Twitter and you've got all these different vehicles for the, for the vast majority mm -hmm. to bring their ideas. And let's be honest, like everything else, most of it's crap, but New ideas come from the most remarkable places, and you can you can get a kernel of an idea from, you know, a a, a monstrosity. You can say, okay, well, ninety nine percent of it's bad, but what if I took this mm -hmm. and made that into something different? And I think social media has turned some people who have the ability to take kernels of ideas mm -hmm. and transform them into something that's easily understood. Yeah, it, yeah, for sure. It's been remarkable, which then led to you know, HGTV sort of changing the direction of a lot of the programming that they provide, mm -hmm. which is into the Ellen's Design Challenge, now entering second season. Have you filmed the second uh, season? Third. Third season. Third, yeah. Wow. We're, we're, I think we, we're about to start shooting our third, or we'll shoot our third later this, this summer probably. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, the, it's, um, it's nice to see that people aren't just addressing existing markets or chasing existing markets. And it's nice the idea that people are creating new markets. And, and, and also, you know, there's so many interesting young uh, talents in this country, and we don't really have the best history in supporting young creative work or new creative work. And I shouldn't say young because not everybody is, you know, 20. Um, but... And, and people can come into their creative life at any age. But it's, I think it's really important to support this work, and, and, and a lot of it's really, really good. Um, you know, in, in, uh, when everything kind of fell apart in 2006, you know, there were a lot of people complaining. And, and it is, I think people fi find it easy to complain in this country. They're enabled to complain <laughs> to some degree. Um, but... You know, uh, most of that sort of complaining was about how limited opportunities were or how limited resources are. And creativity is one of those renewable resources that has no, there's no, it's, it's bottomless. So the idea that, I, that more people are doing interesting creative work means to me that more people should be supported to pursue this kind of work because this is what, obviously, what moves things forward. But this is what could also 
you know, change the way we think about how how we address our economic concerns in this country. And 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 the more that we support people who have this kind of pro progressive way of thinking about about how they work, what they create, I think the better off we'll be in the future. You are listening to my conversation with Matt Black's Cliff Fung. We'll be right back. We are living at a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Backing up a second. So at the time, you're, you're a working designer. You're, you're managing your clients. You're trying to find new clients. You're sourcing. You're doing all this stuff. How do you, how do you find yourself... As a as a judge, on a on a TV show. Um, sorry, you mean how how do I incorporate that in everything else I do? Or sorry, how, or how did somebody else find me to do that? Or sorry, um, no. How did how did you how did you wind up there? Ah, and then and then later the question is going to be how do you manage that with the shooting schedule? But I'll get to that one in a second. Oh, gotcha. Well, um, I was very lucky, obviously. Um, I think uh, I had been asked to do reality television a few times before, but I, to be honest, it was never attractive to me. I, I'm not a person, I think, who thrives on attention, and to some degree, maybe I shy away from it a little more, although I think I'm starting to get used to it. Um, but because Ellen DeGeneres produces the show, and that also bears her name, I knew that the message was always going to be positive. And the first season, I was just a guest judge, and I really got a lot out of it. I really felt like um, it was it was nice to share thoughts with with people. It's nice to be asked, or it's nice that people care what I think too. But it's also very nice to feel like I am helping support someone who's trying to figure things out in their creative career. Um, when I when I was in college. I I don't know if I've ever been an egghead, but I, but maybe I sort of felt eggheaded a little bit for a while there, and I thought, oh, the only thing I can do with all this information is teach, and I didn't because I didn't really feel like it wasn't obvious to me that I might become a more creative person. It was more that that I I I would kind of construct and deconstruct things in my heads based on in my head based on on my historical knowledge of of an aesthetic. Um, so I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll teach at Art Center. Maybe I'll write about the arts uh, or design or fashion or something. And I did a little bit of that for a while, too. Um, so I didn't really expect to, to come into to any kind of creative life for myself. But fortunately, my parents gave me a lot of freedom and a lot of 
support and encouragement. And as things kind of progressed, anything that, that, that crossed my path that was intriguing, I felt like I had the freedom to pursue it. And somehow it ended up becoming this. Um, when, when it came time to, to do some work with, with the show, one of the things that I remembered the most is, is sort of feeling like I had support and encouragement and some very good professors to help kind of guide my inspirations and thoughts. And, and that's what's nice about being on the show is that, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I hope I'm not just a talking head. <laughs> and, and I'm not just a co-host. I'm also a mentor and a judge. And I, I'd like to think that, that my commentary is, is always hopefully thoughtful and, and uh, um, helpful. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, and fair, of course, as well. So it's nice to have an opportunity to be all those things for, for I think, someone who really receives it or appreciates it. And that's the best part of being on that show for me. Well, I think it's interesting, too. And, and I, I, will, I will preface the next comment by saying I, I, think, I think you are a remarkable judge. Mm. I, think, oh, I think a lot, a lot goes into it. It's not just saying, oh, I like that, oh, I don't like this, or what were you thinking? Those are three obviously very easy responses, but you can't, you can't do that. You, you, have to, you have to really put some thought into the character that you're portraying. Mm -hmm. You can't tell someone that they just did a, a terrible job. They're, you're trying to encourage them. You're trying to bring out the best in them. It's not about breaking them down. Yeah, you want to you bring out everything that they have. So as you're preparing for this, for the first time, and, and I guess the second part of that question is, how do you how do you grow as a judge too because it, you're you're judging someone's talent it's a very personal thing mm -hmm. and it's something that you do for a living as well as you know for a passion as well so you you understand it better than anybody how mm -hmm. do you how do you develop that well yeah for me it's it's a i don't feel like uh, there's there's no issue about creating a public persona or a character that sort of is just who i am yeah no i get um, that uh I wish I actually had that range to actually be something I'm not occasionally, because I think maybe that might be more entertaining. <laughs> I can be a little dry at times. But um, I, I think having a, maybe a broader understanding of all creative work, whether it's art or fashion or interior design, um, having an understanding of, the, of, of how things fit into a historical timeline kind of, kind of allows me to look at things really objectively. And just because it might not be something that I would put in my own home doesn't mean that it's a, something bad. Just because it's something that I might use for a client or might not use for a client doesn't mean that, that you know, it's right or wrong. I like the idea that I can look at something objectively and think about it and, and comment on it and judge it for its own merits. If there's some things that detract from it, I think very carefully about why that is and, and try to really make sure it's not just my personal opinion, although obviously my personal opinion has, has something to do with what, you know, what's shared. But, but in my sharing of information and opinion, it's usually about, about looking at things in a broader sense and not just what I believe might be right for myself or for a client or something else out there in the world. Obviously, if you look at the broad spectrum of everything that exists in the design market, it's not a big deal to, to make a pillow with you know, a polka dot on it. 
I, ha I don't think I've ever thought I need to find a pillow with a polka dot on it. But it doesn't mean that if someone makes one that I can't see the value in it. And whether it's a, a value for the HGTV viewer or value for a dealer on La Cienega or if it's something that should wind up at auction, you know, 30 or 40 years later and have some value. I, I think if I take all of that into account and I understand what, what a creative person's purposes are, I can help guide them to make sure that they make the most of their effort. Whether the idea is, it, is that it, it shows up on HGTV or on, you know, an online retailer, Pottery Barn, Crate and Barrel, or do they want it to be in a museum one day, or do they want it to be on La Cienega? Um, it, it's more just thinking about what it is that, that is a person's strength and making the most out of that. I've gotten to know a little bit about you, just mm -hmm. in, the, in the few minutes we've been talking. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to guess at the answer to the first part of the question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, but not the second part. So the first part is, do you, do you watch the show? I not, do. I do. Well, yeah. not from a not from a fan's perspective, because obviously you, you you tend to shy away from the from the from the the attention. But mm -hmm. do you do you watch it? Do you watch it to 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 criti to be critical of your own performance? Do you watch your own performance? Do you do you look back and say, "Wow, I wish I would have said this, or I would have said that," or um, or can you can you sit I'm back and sure. just watch it? Yeah, I do watch it. I actually find it quite easy to watch, but not because I enjoy watching myself at all. But there's so much that I don't see during the production. So it's very interesting to see what it is that they've shot without me. Um, I think in the beginning it was a little difficult to watch myself without being critical, but then I also sort of feel like there's nothing I can do about it anyway. And I don't tend to, to stress out or, or obsess about the things that I don't have any kind of control over. And I was warned by several friends of mine who are actors that it is difficult to watch oneself on camera. But I have to say, the, the team on the show, the production crew is amazing. Um, and I do feel like I'm, edit ve I'm edited very kindly and generously. So, so whatever comes out uh, um, in an episode, I think um, I am very kind of proud of and very happy about it I'm, I'm at peace with it and I and if I wasn't I couldn't change anything anyway <laughs> but I but I, I was actually very entertained by the show um, mostly because I get to see all of those things that 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 happen without my presence you know um, there's so much that goes into making a show as well that to me that's really fascinating just seeing my little part and then seeing the finished product is really different it's sort of like um, it's sort of like for me maybe just suddenly buying shoelaces and, and putting them in and and then later going back in and seeing that oh that's how you build a shoe where all I did was put on the laces, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of, it's, it's a really, really nice, it's a really nice thing to be able to do. On the other, on the other side of that question, mm. uh, production can take a lot of time. Yes. Can take a lot of time. So knowing that you still have to do the work that you do, you're, you're a designer, you have to source products, you have to find new clients, you have to, how do you manage the time and the shooting schedule? Um, well, I feel very lucky in that regard. One, because I, it's, I, <laughs> as of yet, not, some wood to knock on. <laughs> um, I have I have never really needed to look for clients. Fortunately, everybody finds me, and 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 I have a really nice group of people who who seems to to come to us, and and 
Obviously, there are some hard timelines that we have to adhere to, but for the most part, people are very understanding. We're obviously not abusive with our time because I like working quickly. I like, I like making sure that, that projects get wrapped up in as timely a fashion as possible, and, and I really like the clients that I get to do things for. Um, this past season, there were no scheduling conflicts, thankfully. Um, and I also have a really, really good team of people that I work with, so people who I really trust to execute something if I can't be there, or ask the right questions uh, if, if there's something that needs to be answered that they can't do for themselves. So there's a nice combina combination of factors that works in my favor, but, but I'm not sure... I'm not sure how some of my other friends who have television shows do it, and I'm not sure how some of my friends who actually only have television shows, <laughs> how they or, or movie careers, I, I don't know how they manage the rest of their lives sometimes because I would find it really disruptive. Last question for you is most of the designers that I've spoken to, it's really interesting. There, there's a couple of consistencies in the business, and I think that's, that's because a lot of this is how a lot of people judge success in the in the shelter space with mm -hmm. with regard to designers not so much architects but with designers in particular is when you ask a lot of designers what is it that you, that you want out of, the, out of the career it's obviously to build to build a, a successful firm mm -hmm. and it's to it's to do good work and it's to do work that you're proud of but also it's to have a show and really? to ha yeah i get yeah. that a lot huh. and it's to have and maybe it's just from a from a promotional standpoint maybe other designers aren't as fortunate as you've been and it's it's the gratification that you get from that but also because it, it can depending on the on what the show is it could be a calling mm -hmm. card it, just a yeah I can't deny that there are some very obvious um, opportunities or perks that are associated with with being on television for sure but I tend to think less about those and more about about what it is that I am there to do and hopefully just do a good job. Um, I don't think that career would ever, uh, I hope it would never really um, eclipse the, the kind of importance or the meaningfulness of some of the other work that I've done in the way that I think about it, you know. I, I think, um, I think Maybe it would work better for other people, but not for me. But if if I, I don't have that kind of personality that supports branding myself um, and and putting my name out there in a big way and and um, kind of pushing my own personal agenda, I, I think I'm much better. I, I much prefer the thought that people might identify with something that I do, my work, they might find some value in it, they might appreciate it, they might want to, to have me work with them, but not because I'm on television, not because I've worked with somebody else in the way that, that everybody might want Jennifer Lawrence's manicurist or something. You know? I'm, I'm hoping that people really concentrate on the work and less of everything else. But that being said, I, I think if, if, uh, if I am on if I have some uh, opportunity or to, ha to have some sort of public platform, if I have um, a following, so to speak, I would definitely like to make sure that they they that I make the most of that, especially as I get closer to maybe you know my fifties or something, <laughs> and maybe think about retiring. Uh, but but I think all of that would would always start with some something substantial and meaningful in, in relation to work and I, I don't think you'd ever see me um, um, doing something where it was really just about self-promotion.
I hope not. I don't know. What, what else, uh, as a complete aside, what else do you do besides work? Uh, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, well, I, sp- I really spend a lot of time in nature. And actually, most of my, um, most of my childhood and young adult life, I, I felt like I was going to work in, in um, the natural sciences in some way. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm quite preoccupied with, with conservation. Um, and uh, I, I take dive trips as, whenever I can. And I hope actually maybe to work in marine conservation at some point. Um, if I ever am able to get out of the city a little more and, and maybe split my existence between here and somewhere else, I think that's probably what I would do. Um, I spend a lot of time um, in galleries and museums. Um, I really get a lot out of, out of looking at other people's creative work. Uh, uh, fine art, obviously, is really important to me. Um, I travel quite a bit for work and for pleasure also, so I'm always kind of out there um, kind of experiencing things. Um, maybe maybe it's kind of shifting a little more towards nature and less culture, but I get inspiration from both kinds of, of um, experiences, and, and that's, that's a really, really nice thing. Um, and I guess outside of that, I don't know, spend a lot of time with my dogs, I guess. <laughs> and, and maybe doing as little as possible for an afternoon if I can afford it, as opposed to, you know, filling all my time with things that might be, pro- you know, might be productive. But. I can totally dig that. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks. This is uh, com- another convo by design with uh, Cliff Fung, interior designer uh, and celebrity judge. Oh, gosh. Whatever. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Cliff, thanks. Thank you. I know you love talking about great partnerships the same way I do. Let me tell you about an incredible design partner who is working with us on the Convo by Design Remote Design House Tulsa project. Franz Wigner. A company created in 1899 in Attendorn, Germany. They started manufacturing brass beer taps In 1921, the company expanded to Buenos Aires, manufacturing brass faucetry. The company launched in the U.S. in 1992, and Franz Wigner Premium Collection began in 2008. Franz Wigner crafts high-quality premium faucets with the objective to create a design-oriented luxury product that exceeds the standards set by world-class designers and architects. Pretty heady stuff, and they do it. If you see a Franz Wigner faucet, It is stunning. You use Franz Wigner faucets and they perform flawlessly. Product you can depend on after over 120 years designing a truly stunning faucet line. For more information and to check out the entire line of faucets, visit franzwigner.com. So I'm going to spell it for you, right? (laughs) F-R-A-N-Z-V-I-E-G-E-N-E-R.com. Thank you, Franz Wigner. Thank you, Cliff. Loved hearing this again. Really did. I remember it like it was last week at the Crestron showroom in the Pacific Design Center. I don't think that showroom is there anymore, but it is here at Convo by Design. Thank you to uh, Convo by Design sponsors and partners, Thermosol, Article Furniture, York Wall Coverings, Moya Living, and Franz Wigner for your continued support. And of course, thank you for downloading, subscribing, and listening to the show. Thank you for the emails of support and guest submissions. I absolutely love them, and it's allowed me to find some truly amazing talent to showcase. Please remember why you do what you do and for whom you do it. Designers, architects, artists... 
Product designers, showroom managers, publicists, magazine editors, publishers, set decorators, and everyone else that makes our industry so special and stronger by the day, this show is for you. That's why I do it. Thanks for listening. Be well. And until next week, take today first. (laughs) 